Welcome to Inspire Campfire, a podcast where ordinary people tell their stories of extraordinary adventure. These are campfire stories meant to inspire the rest of us to light the fire within, get outside, follow our dreams, and return to tell our own stories. Ready? Let's strike the match. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Scott Wurzbacher, and today's episode is guaranteed to inspire awe as we travel to the kingdom of Bhutan in the eastern Himalayas, nestled between India and China. Bhutan is a place of deep spirituality, connectedness with nature and rich culture. Through synchronicity, I was recently invited to join an epic adventure with Karen Dark, who you might remember from episode seven. And for me, it was an immediate yes. Bhutan is known for the concept of gross national happiness, where governmental and economic decisions are made based on their impacts on happiness. It's also the only carbon negative neutral country in the world. There's a unique culture in Bhutan and so much that we can learn from its people. I am so honored for the opportunity to visit later this year. Our guest today is Matt DeSantis, founder of My Bhutan, a boutique travel designer and outfitter that creates experiences that allow guests to explore deep into Bhutan. Matt has an absolutely incredible story that starts where he grew up in Connecticut and includes how he traveled to Bhutan for four weeks and ended up staying for 10 years. What Matt has been able to accomplish during his time there is astounding to say the least. According to his LinkedIn profile, he's a travel specialist, a technologist, a social entrepreneur, and an explorer. And he is a huge inspiration to me and has so kindly agreed to join us here to share his incredible story. Matt, welcome to the campfire. Thank you for having me, Scott. And that was a very kind introduction. And you described Bhutan very well. It's a very difficult place to describe and you described it very well. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much. I am so excited to share your story, Matt. You and I had an opportunity to speak for a while last week and just every adventure and all of the accomplishments that you've been able to, to get done while you've been over there in Bhutan has just been incredible. And I just can't wait to share your stories. I'd love to just go straight back to your early days in Connecticut. I think that story that you shared with me just inspired me so much. And if you could just tell us kind of how this all happened. Sure. Well, um, as you mentioned, I've lived in Bhutan for over a decade now, but my relationship goes back to my childhood. I went to a boarding school in Connecticut called Choate Rosemary Hall, and there I met His Royal Highness Trigelugan Wongchuk. We uh, we originally met on the basketball court and had a uh, a uh, very competitive relationship at the beginning that that formed through the years into into a very long-standing uh, uh, true relationship with each other. And shortly after our time in at, at Choate together, and obviously I would hear stories of Bhutan, but had never visited at that point, but hearing it through his words and his vision and, um, and, and just through someone um, who loves Bhutan uh, even more than himself and, uh, the way that he really cares about everything about Bhutan's development and existence. It really had a strong impact on me even before being there myself. Yeah. But all that being said, after, after meeting in, uh, in high school, we, uh, we went separate ways. He went off to Oxford. I was at Columbia. And shortly mm-hmm. after that, while I was working with Accenture, my professional career began with Bhutan just as Bhutan was going through its transition from a monarchy to a democracy, I was just asked for gratis to build systems to support the government in its transition. And so my professional work with Bhutan began in my early 20s, and it was really just building systems from afar for various different ministries. And that led to the decision to, or the invitation to go over to Bhutan just to meet all of the ministers for um, what was supposed to be four months. I'm four weeks, and of course, uh, that's a tough thing to do when you go to Bhutan to stay only four weeks. Such a crazy story. So, you know, this this goes back to your 
like 14 years old at, at Choate Rosemary Hall. And, uh, you know, and you make this lifelong friend and you go through this, the educational system and you find yourself at Accenture as a technology consultant. And this invitation to Bhutan probably, I'm assuming, develops outside of your, because of your relationship with His Royal Highness and, and the learning that you had through that relationship. Correct. And we, we always shared ideas together that were very abstract and um, more um, uh, larger scale for national development type of, of priority work, which I eventually did end up getting into. But, um, you know, at the time when we started to build those systems, it was really something that was of high importance because it was a um, it was a young and developing new form of governance, and so it was a really fun project to be on because it was uh, those opportunities come very rarely to be able to to support the development of a transitioning government. Yeah, I mean it's amazing. I mean this is this is big stuff. I mean there's a global impact that's happening with with the work that you're doing. But I, you know, to me, like. I, it starts with two boys, two teenagers, right? <laughs> that are just close friends. I mean, what what was that like? That that sort of high school experience and that relationship that developed. I think it was a great learning experience for both of us because we were exposing each other to completely different environments and sharing them together. And um, you know, the stories that he'd tell me about Bhutan, for example. I could feel the love and passion through every one of his words, but I had never experienced it myself physically. But the way that he would explain to me everything from this, the, the way that Bhutan develops and its policies and its just its priorities, its national priorities for well-being um, were so intriguing to me because while I felt them, it was a practice that I had never seen, for example, a government installing. And um, to be able to learn that at such a uh, young age, but to actually learn it through words and not through seeing it, and then years later going to see it myself made a really strong impact. And you know, the same on the other hand, the experience that His Royal Highness had in the United States to be able to experience life in a different way that than how he had been, you know born and raised to experience it in the kingdom. Um, so it was, it was, it was a friendship that was filled with, um, with a lot of shared experiences and teachings from one to another. And, and, uh, you know, as I mentioned, it started at on the basketball court and it wasn't the <laughs> strongest friendship at the beginning. So we always had a competitive drive against us too, but that competitive drive really molded through the years as we continue to develop ideas together and really worked to its advantage in helping us really um, be creative and push towards things we really believed in. Yeah. I mean, it's such a beautiful thing. I mean, you guys were there together, kind of like helping each other to understand one another's culture and that, like, it sounds like that created an awareness for the both of you, which is really special. And so I'm, I, I want to hear about this, you know, this four weeks that turns into 10 years. Like sure. when you first got that invitation, what was that like for you? The, the invitation to come over, like what was going through your mind at that time? And, you know, what, what did you think was about to happen? Well, I had no idea when I first left that I was going to stay in Bhutan for more than the four weeks. I think that was the last thing that was on my mind. I, I actually, I took the long road there. I, I had a friend who also worked with Accenture at the time. And uh, he decided to uh, to leave the job and to go and hike in the mountains, to hike through the Pyrenees to transverse mm -hmm. them. And uh, we had been reading this old book by a man who had uh, trekked across the Pyrenees, I think 16 times, but it was years back, 30, 40 years prior to the time we ended up going and, and doing it. And um, he, he had this idea to go and follow that book and to, to try to recreate that path. Wow. And so we, um, I, he, he invited me to join. And at the time I had never been in the mountains before I grew up a, a big water person. I loved, you know, bigger wave surfing and I loved, uh, being in the ocean, but I had never grown up near the mountains at all. And so the plan was actually to spend 40 plus days crossing the Pyrenees 
and then head over to Bhutan afterwards. And obviously that journey through the Pyrenees was, was a real eye-opener for me and really prepared me for a lot of the work I ended up doing in life later. And, uh, but, but, you know, I had never been in the mountains before, so it was a really uh, exciting time filled with some challenges. And, but by the time I reached Bhutan, again, as I had mentioned, I had only thought that I would be there for four weeks, but right when I arrived, the Royal bodyguards picked me up. And the next thing I knew that evening, I was near to the Southern jungle. And then the next, uh, eight weeks we spent just crossing the jungle and meeting different villages and, um, and exploring Bhutan through, um, really the footsteps of how his Royal Highness explored it when he was a child. And I, I didn't realize it at the time, but many of my early adventures in Bhutan, um, when we'd go to different parts of the country, largely places that were very less traveled, His Royal Highness would explain to me that these were places that he would go with his father, his majesty, when he was younger. And he was, you know, to be able to see it through, you know, my my friend's eyes from his childhood was even more powerful to me. So yeah. the, the four weeks was an impossibility from the beginning because I didn't even make it to a, a meeting until the first eight weeks. <laughs> what, so at what point did you realize like this isn't going to be four weeks? I think um, I think right when I entered the jungle, to be honest with you. Okay. It just, it's such a beautiful, the, the thing about Bhutan is it's so, I mean, there are many things, but one of the beautiful things about Bhutan is, is it's mutual respect for the environment mm -hmm. and just the way that the people and the, the, the nature around the people um, interact with each other is so harmonious in many ways that it's just, it, it's like a, nowhere else I've ever been. And so Bhutan has, you have to keep in mind that Bhutan, the northern part of Bhutan, you essentially reach the Tibetan plateau, but then the southern part of Bhutan, you hit the Indian basin. So if you look at Bhutan on a 3D map, Bhutan is really this slope. And then you have just beautiful valleys and uh, glacial rivers carving their way through and uh, all these different altitudes and everything from high glaciers to, as I mentioned, really the deepest, most untraveled rainforests in the world. And so this is why Bhutan is one of the 10 hottest biodiversity or the 10 biggest high, hot biodiversity hotspots in the world. Yeah. So uh, I'd say right when I, right when I started to see just how beautiful the outdoors are in Bhutan and, and, and then connecting that with the communities and seeing how that outdoors works so well with the people who live around them and you see it in the everyday nature of the people. It's uh, it's just so heartwarming being around anyone in Bhutan just because of the spirit of Bhutan and its people. Yeah. There's this point at which you're in the jungle and you're like, okay, this isn't going to be four weeks. I'm, I'm wondering, and I'm sure my listeners are too, like, what about the your family back in the United States? Like, what are, what are they thinking? Like, Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I had to give that call. That wasn't a very pleasant call the first time. Um, but... Uh, but they were very supportive, obviously, and it's a, it's a challenging thing, um, just mindfully to, you know, to have so much of your life and your, your, your relationships and your, your, everything that you had developed to date in one country and then um, go and establish something somewhere else for a long period of time. Um, and especially the added challenges of leaving um, you know, from an economic perspective, a largely developed country and, mm -hmm. and going and helping um, essentially create an industry elsewhere. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's the amazing part. That's just so cool. Like, so, you know, I know the invitation sounds like it was to go over and help with technology, essentially. Um, but you also, you, you mentioned that you'd never been in the mountains before. But mm -hmm. Matt, you're some, you have, you have become an award-winning world-class explorer 
and that happened during this whole experience. And I, I just have to believe that there was something in your heart beyond technology that like, you know, yes, you got the invitation, but there had to have been something deeper calling you to say, yes, like this is something I need to go do. You know, I've always been driven to go and make impactful type of exploration in different parts of the world. And whether that be storytelling or scientific research or um, some type of community involvement related exploration, I think I've done um, across that map quite a few. But what intrigued me most about Bhutan is one, just from a exploration perspective in general, you have a lot of opportunity. You have everything from uh, the high mountains, which once you get past the military checkpoint in northern Bhutan is probably the least explored regions of the Himalayas that still exist today. And then you have all of the river systems, which have been, um, you know, which, which, uh, we've done a lot of work mapping a lot of the system, a lot of the, the rivers that hadn't been mapped before and doing uh, rafting expeditions through them. Mm -hmm. And you have the Southern rainforest. And I mentioned before how well protected it is. The Southern mm -hmm. rainforest is um, essentially half of it is, is royal property and the other half is open to the public. And so the rangers do tremendous work in that park to just protect a lot of the wildlife. And be, it's for that reason that you have a very large number of endangered animals there and they're living um, peacefully uh, for the most part. And so the, um, you know, the opportunity for exploration is really high in Bhutan. And it's also just because of access um, previously hadn't really been done much before. And then, but for me, that's not enough. And so adding these um, scientific research components or opportunity for, you know, the younger generation to be able to be involved and, and either provide a, a good or create a good scientific impact on whatever work we do, or to, to give them the opportunity to, if the youth are involved, to, to see and experience their country in a different way. Um, so that, that's what really inspires me to get out and go into the more extreme environments, I suppose. Yeah. And so I think I'm kind of seeing sort of two paths because I know there's the exploration piece, but you also have like a deep passion for entrepreneurial efforts. And I, I want to get into both of them. So just for listeners can kind of understand both of those, because you've got sort of a number of different entrepreneurial ventures that you've taken on over there, but then there's also the exploration piece. And I'd love to kind of get into how, like how those two tie together, but just for, to bring everybody into context, can we just go kind of go back to the, the entrepreneurial piece, my Bhutan and some of the other ventures that you've created. Can you kind of give us some background there? So what we've done is um, we, we have two companies. One is my Bhutan, which was co-founded by myself and his Royal Highness in 2013. And that's the travel group that, um, that provides um, deep exploration opportunities in Bhutan. And we try to mix that a lot with shared experiences mm -hmm. because the early days um, before My Bhutan was even formed, we, uh, we were still doing travel programs in Bhutan just unofficially, but we were doing it with high interest guests to Bhutan. Um, and the idea was to build shared experiences. And so we were introducing them to private projects and, um, and giving them uh, um, pretty special access to see the country from the way that, you know, the people around me see it um, and the way that it was introduced to me as well. And so the, the travel group has been very uh, bespoke for a reason and boutique for a reason. We're not ever looking to really grow ex um, to, to extreme boundaries, but mm -hmm. um, the idea is to build relationships and to introduce Bhutan in a very pure and authentic way. Now, we also have a company uh, called Bayul Labs, which built Bhutan's um, international payment gateway. Okay. So prior, you can only accept wire transfers to Bhutan. So on the tech side, we built um, a platform that, um, that 
that can be used by Bhutan to, for the first time, accept international payments. Now, that's also something that can be replicated to other countries, and you'd be surprised how many countries have that issue. So that's on the business side. Now, in addition to that, we serve a few other roles. Um, as part of my Bhutan, and this was just a core decision that His Royal Highness and I made at the very early days, because you know I was making the decision to go and live very far from, at the time, what was my home in mm -hmm. the United States. and. Um, and His Royal Highness was um, involved in the project as well. And so we needed to create um, a reason for My Bhutan that was well beyond just being a startup business. And so what we decided was that a core part of what we do would found, fund, and implement different projects, which would be community benefit projects or environmentally benefit projects. And so over the course of the 10 years, we've, um, we've been involved in various projects, um, but the four that I will mention are really the key ones that we've been focusing on through the long term. One is a very historic project for Bhutan. It's co-led by myself and, and, um, and uh, one of the princesses. And uh, the, the royal grandmother is the honorary patron to the project, but we're documenting, digitizing, and archiving all of Bhutan's national relics across mm -hmm. 2,500 monasteries. So yeah, this is a mega, mega project and um, multi-lifetime project probably, but it's been an amazing experience because we have, you know, we have monks learning data structures while they're teaching me the the whole you know reincarnation cycle because i know this is going to take multi-years yeah <laughs> um, and so uh that project's very important with 2500 monasteries and objects uh, in the in the tens to hundreds in each monastery yeah i i, just, I have to like just reflect there for a second because you just, you know, what you experienced with His Royal Highness in high school was this like, you know, integrating an awareness of each other's sort of cultures. And and now here you are just like you're explaining that same story with the monks and and how they are sharing and you're sharing. It's just it's it's so magical. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I'm very grateful for that because it's obviously difficult to really just find yourself um, being accepted into any community that mm -hmm not originally from but i remember the early days when his royal highness when i first arrived and he sat me down with his close friends and said you know this is my brother and he's your brother now too and i'm always appreciative for that because um you know it, it was a welcoming and and it allowed for um both me to feel personally welcome and and make it a home but also um, to be accepted. Right. So there's such an unbelievable unity in that. And I love it. I mean, that right there is, is a lesson for the world. It's, it's, it's beautiful. So we've got this national relics project and then we have that project. And then the, the other three projects, one is a tree planting project. And, um, what we're, we're doing is we're working on two fronts here. One is for reforestation mm -hmm. and there's an old ancient trail called the, the trans Bhutan trail which was just revived. It had been, um, it had essentially stopped. Um, it, it, it had really overgrown and died out over the last, I'd say, 60 years since the, the highway was introduced to Bhutan. And um, it, it was such an important uh, trail for cultural reasons and also for trade. And, um, but, but it's disappeared. And so it was fortunately revived over the past, um, over the past two years during the pandemic. And so we're working on a reforestation project with the Trans-Bhutan Trail team where we're providing um, tree saplings and helping with planting so that we can um, reforest areas that um, have degraded land along the trail. And then the other portion of that project is actually a fruit bearing tree project. And uh, we, we're doing that both with farmers on their individual properties, but then as well, we're doing it with, um, with 
the central monastic body. And so we're doing it at monasteries and we're doing fruit bearing trees on their land. And then the monks become um, the caretakers of those trees. And the purpose of that project is to revive an old practice where these fruit bearing trees used to provide a source of income for the monasteries. And we're always trying to find ways to provide sources of income for the monasteries in Bhutan. And this one seems to be a, a, a viable one. So we're excited to have that one up and running again. Yeah, and you were mentioning when we spoke last week that, um, you know, all of these projects, the idea is to get them started and then turn them back over to the people that it, it's benefiting. And I think that's, that's just really amazing. Correct. So we found, fund, and implement them, but we always hand it to a respective party um, who we work a lot with along the way as we're found funding and implementing. And then we hand it off to a respective party and only provide support after that in whichever ways we see are helpful, if yeah. any. Um, but the whole purpose here is to, um, you know, to, to really... Um, inject this work into the community and have them become the, the respective and rightful owners because it's, it's for them and it's, it's, it's needed. And so um, it, it's been really, uh, I think that's the most important part of all of these projects. Yeah. And it's, it's really been the most, just personally, I think the most life-changing in a way because it's given um, from an inner perspective more uh, reason for the work that we do every day because of the individuals and the people that it's impacting the work that you guys right. are doing. I mean, you know, just, and to tack on to that in terms of impact, the reforestation project that you're doing, I mean, that lines right up with the, uh, Bhutan being carbon neutral. I mean, that's yes. a core fundamental uh, aspect of that whole. Correct. And it, it's, 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 it, there are a few, components of this as well. You had mentioned about Bhutan being carbon negative, but it's also, I believe, the only country in the world that has protection of its forests in its constitution, where 60% of all um, uh, land area must be forest coverage. So right now we're 71 to 73%, which is great. We're exceeding the requirement, but Bhutan continues to um, to globalize and to expand beyond its boundaries in many ways. And just looking at the capital city from the day I arrived and it was 70,000 people who lived there to now probably around 130,000 things are growing fast. Yeah. And so it's very important to, I think, uh, proactively be tackling issues, even if they're not perceived as major issues right now. Um, it's, um, it's, it's, it's something that's important because you look at just globally the warming planet. And even if Bhutan is the carbon negative country in the world and has policy to protect its environment, we still see the effects of it because we are, um, one, we're the highest country in the world altitude wise, but two, you have a lot of glaciers in Bhutan. And with a lot of glaciers, you have a lot of glacial lakes. And when the world is warming and, you know, um, and well, the lakes get bigger and the glaciers get smaller and right. that could create issues like flooding or um, catastrophes. So it's very important that we, um, we serve as an example to the world because even if we are uh, caring for our environment in a very unique way, we still see the effects of, you know, the warming planet. Yeah. It's hard when you're a small country and you're sandwiched in between two countries that are, you know, creating a lot of pollution. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. We've got a few other uh, ventures that you've worked on or that, or that are still working on. The last two are, um, I, I founded and, um, and chair, and his His Royal Highness is the honorary chairman. The uh, the Explorers Club Bhutan chapter. Yeah, so that's been a really fun initiative. We have about fifteen to twenty members, and you can just imagine just very unique talent within that membership. Everything from the person who led the first project to bring a uh, satellite from Bhutan to space to 
a number of rangers doing exceptional work that involved botany, geologists, you name it. We also introduced a very new concept to exploration, which to me is very important because I think that the former concept of exploration just globally has always kind of been this type of conquer style exploration. Mm -hmm. I'm the first to go and do this or the first to do that. And it's always been physical exploration. Now, we have in Bhutan a very unique body of people called, you know, in the central monastic body. And these are these reincarnated monks who have explored multiple lifetimes of human being and, and soul and being able to figure out, you know, um, how to live with impermanence and how to how to find and seek enlightenment and the mind works in a very powerful way when you when you give the time to focus on that and so we, we've created a really unique exception to i think what exploration was always perceived yeah. to be and um this was uh uh, through conversation with the headquarters at the Explorers Club, but we were able to get members into the club who are reincarnated monks. And I remember the early days, one of the Explorers Club members who's a reincarnated monk told me, well, I don't qualify because I've never gone and climbed mountains or yeah. rafted yeah. rivers. And, um, but his ex exploration runs deep. And what he can share as an explorer is something that um, many of us are very blinded to. Yes. And so we're trying to learn and implement these processes with even our physical expeditions that we do as a team to determine ways to um, incorporate more spiritual and mindful exploration into that. And our hope is that it, it will help us become more aware of all of our, um, our work as in our expeditions. It's a it's a game. That's a game changer. I mean, it's opening up a whole nother. I mean, it's always been this outer exploration and you, you're taking it to the inner. And I mean, just that opens up a whole nother category. It's amazing. Correct. And also, how does that even benefit your physical explorations? If you're, you know, if you're doing meditative practices before you go out and do a physical expedition, does that help? Does that open your awareness differently? Do you see what you're looking for differently? So it's all this concept of being connected and having this interconnectedness with everything around you. And that's a lot of the practice in itself. So by creating that interconnectedness with your physical expeditions, how does that help your research? Yeah, it's going to change a lot of things for a lot of people. It change, it's going to change the way people think. I mean, it's it's a whole other category. So um, we've got a couple of other things to to talk about that that you're still that you're working on. So yeah, and then so the last two things are one is a uh, it it involves youth and sports. But um, when I met His Royal Highness, as I mentioned, we met on the basketball court, and uh -huh. he. Um, <laughs> He, he would always beat me by a little bit. He would always beat me by a point or two. Yeah. Um, and so it's his responsibility to grow sports in Bhutan. He's the president of the Bhutan Olympic Committee. And so when I came to Bhutan, originally I just thought it would be a little backyard activity, but mm -hmm. it ended up 800 kids were showing up by the second or third week. And, um, but I brought baseball to Bhutan 10 years back. And, uh, and uh I uh, I would joke about it and say that I would bring it because it was a sport that I could beat him in finally. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. But, but that wasn't the reality. The, the real reality was because I, you know, it, 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 it was something that the kids just picked up really fast. They were great at and they loved because extracurricular activities in Bhutan, especially in the capital city, um, to be able to find one that's free and just open every day for you to just show up and play is very rare and or show up and do anything really um, and so it created a really nice opportunity for these kids to be able to just um, learn a new sport meet friends across different schools and 
um, have fun. And so we've developed the program into um, a national sport now. It's the 17th national sport and it's become internationally recognized. So um, the World Baseball and Softball Confederation has recognized it as an international federation. And um, we're, we are in six districts of the 20 now, but yeah. we hope to get into all of them because we have kids writing to us every day, essentially telling us that they want to play baseball in their communities. So it's been a fun project and, um, and, uh, and we, we've been happy to see it grow and we've been overwhelmed by the support that we've been given. Yeah. I mean, overwhelm is a great word. I mean, it's got to be yeah. so much fun to see the smiles on these kids' faces playing baseball. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and it's fun too, because as I mentioned, Bhutan being one of the highest country or the highest country in the world, um, it has a little international appeal because baseballs get hit farther when it's high altitude. Oh, so. this is true. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> we posted point. a few, uh, few photos on Reddit and they, um, they, they had a lot of, uh, you know, a little mini viral, uh, push to it because people were excited and interested to see, uh, you know, if Mike Trout arrived in Bhutan, how far would he hit the baseball? Oh, awesome. Little, little <laughs> easier to get a home run maybe. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, cool. Okay. So you have, uh, you have kind of one more, uh, role that you play. So that's is just a volunteer role and that's just, um, or that is working with, um, uh, uh, basically supporting um, any Americans in country who have any issues, but I'm the U.S. warden to Bhutan. So I facilitate a lot of the um, conversations between anyone in um, any Americans in Bhutan and, and the U.S. State Department if there are any issues. And just because of the nature of my relationship with, um, with all of the parties involved, I also help... Um, uh, with various other things um, between the two parties, um, everything from certain uh, contributions that have been made, um, solar city projects, uh, wildlife protection work, and um, and other um, uh, other forms of development between the two parties. So, um, yeah, you name it. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's so much in all of that. And so Matt, like one of the things we talked about when we spoke last week, you know, you grew up in the Northeast in the United States, you know, you go to high school in Connecticut and now all of a sudden you're in Bhutan. And I mean, I think for a lot of, a lot of listeners, it, it's, it's going to be hard to get their heads around what a massive thinker you are it's hard for me to get my head around what a massive thinker you are. Like the, your ability to think on such a global scale and to be able to tackle such big issues. Can, like what, how did your, how did your mind get to that point? Like, can you take us kind of through like, how does one develop that ability to think on such a grand scale? Well, thanks Scott. Um, I think it's, I mean, I think that just, it's been a maturing process throughout, but I look back at the early days when I was working um, in the States with say Accenture, and I was very happy and satisfied with the work and learned a tremendous amount, but I always felt that if I had done that my whole life, that while I would live very comfortably, I, I wouldn't um, feel satisfied completely in the end because I, I didn't feel that what I was doing was really building anything beyond what I had intended to build for myself. Mm -hmm. And just personally, that isn't enough of a drive to do what I do every day. And so that was the early feelings, but it obviously took a it took time to, I guess, have the courage to go and um, take that jump because you, uh, you know, you spend years developing yourself into, um, into uh, something that can, you know, you spend years developing yourself into one thing. And then if you find that it isn't fully satisfying, it's always a little scary to take that jump. Yeah. And so, 
that was the early stage. But then I tell you that when I first arrived in Bhutan, I remember presenting business plans, for example, to the government. And while it was very um, well received for many reasons, um, my mind frame was very, um, you know, what was was very focused on what I had been what I had learned prior to that. And, you know, it was how do we create the most economic value for this project? But while that was very well received, as I mentioned, it wasn't the full spread of interest in Bhutan. And so mm -hmm. the response I would get was, well, this is wonderful, but how do we incorporate value into this for the environment? And how do we make sure that culture is respected and preserved? And how do we make sure that there's no corruption with um, governance? Yeah. And so looking at it more holistically, I think really helped with all of uh, future planning and business development and really every action that we did as a team moving forward, because it allowed us to really um, understand why we were doing it. And once we started to develop programming into our work that was beyond our personal interests, we started to form even better as a team and our interests became more mutual and we became better at what we did. Yeah. There was a shared purpose and there was something bigger than just, just yourself. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I, uh, I feel like we've got so much more to cover and I think we could probably have a couple of more podcast episodes. I, I definitely want to just touch on the exploration piece because we've talked about sort of the entrepreneurial path, but exploration has also been such a huge piece for you. Um, you know, as I understand it, Bhutan is an area that has a lot of uncharted territory by man and technology. And, and you're one of the few people, if any, that has explored that region. And, um, you know, there's just exploration runs in your, in your blood. And I just love to hear like how you've kind of integrated kind of both of those paths, the entrepreneurial plus, plus the exploration piece. Well, I certainly like to go places that are, you know, extreme and require, um, or, or, could value or could benefit from different types of surveying or research or, um, you know, new projects. So, um, and Bhutan is really a wonderland for that because there are so many areas that are so largely um, unexplored compared to the rest of the world. So I think one of it's just, you know, I was fortunate and lucky to be positioned in a place where I had the opportunity to do that. And, the second is, um, you know, um, the way that we've integrated it. One, it, you know, on those project based where we mentioned the nonprofit projects that we work on, we've done various in pretty remote areas. And that's allowed us to go and, you know, have a little fun with the exploration as yeah. well. And, um, but the other is, you know, we, we, we do have this unique access and we are experts in 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 providing these extreme journeys and expeditions so um so on the my bhutan side we we do bring select guests to certain regions and we've um basically created a part of the industry um for the high adventurous traveler that didn't even exist in bhutan before where we you know will spend um, eight months building out expeditions and wrecking them and making sure that they're both safe, but also um, extraordinary in many ways so mm -hmm. that we can have clients for the first time go and do them. And so um, everything from the high mountains to the river systems to the jungles, you name it, we, we love getting out there. And that's, that's our, that's a major passion. So um, but then the other thing I'd say is, you know, I went back to say that I was fortunate to be put in that situation. Obviously, I think everywhere I've taken myself in life, I've always tried to find those places, even beyond Bhutan, that really were unique and um, restricted in many ways, and to do projects that bring value to it, rather than just go and, as we mentioned, 
that conquer style expedition, but bring value in, in what we're, we're, we're doing as we're there. But, you know, exploration is a very beautiful thing where you don't really um, even have to ad ex adventure very far to find exploration. You know, there are adventures everywhere. And so when I have heard people tell me in the past that, you know, I've been fortunate to be able to explore so much in my lifetime, and I definitely am thankful for that, you know, my response is always that there's so much to explore everywhere. And mm -hmm. it's, it's really an innate characteristic of every human. I mean, it's essential for the survival of mankind. It's essential for the survival of wildlife. It's essential for um, all of the interlinking of planets and other planets. And, um, you know, that's why we explore. And so everyone's adventure plays a part in that. I love that so much. And, and this is exactly why, Matt, we have to follow that voice that calls us to adventure. And that's what this podcast is so all about. So that was just so beautifully said. I appreciate it so much. Um, I, I do feel like we're going to have to have a have a round two here. But uh, um, I, there's a group of us that are coming um, out to, to, to see you all in Bhutan this fall. And uh, I would love for you to just briefly share what's in store for us when we get there. Sure. And I think that we can actually piggyback off of the conversation we were talking about with the mindful exploration mm -hmm. on this front and being able to apply the physical exploration with mindful. But, um, you know, the way that I see the program that we've built together is while it definitely has a very deep look from a physical perspective of Bhutan, we've tied in a lot of, um, 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 real, I guess, um, masters in Bhutan on the spiritual front. And so my excitement about what we're going to be doing this fall and possibly in the spring as well is it, it's a very deep spiritual exploration that, um, that is very physical based. And I think that that's a very beautiful way to, to experience Bhutan because, you know, Bhutan people, people go for two reasons. They either go because they love the outdoors and they want to see the culture and the festivals and, mm -hmm. and um, you know, this unique culture interests them or they go because they understand that it's the last Shangri-La and they understand that once you get deep into central Bhutan, you're in a really, you're in the heartland of really Vajrayana Buddhism. And so, being able to connect those two with the right people and um, to be able to see that physical exploration from a spiritual sense, I think will be very strong. And Karen, as you had mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. you know, she's very keen on helping everyone find their own journeys through that journey. Yes. And so I, I think it's going to be a very powerful, um, powerful time together. Yes. Thank you. I'm, I'm so excited. And uh, there's going to be so much sharing. Um, Matt, what's the best place for people to get a hold of you or to find out more about uh, My Bhutan and uh, the, the journeys and adventures that you put together for people? Sure. So we have our website is mybhutan.com, M-Y-B-H-U-T-A-N.com. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the email address, the, the easiest way to contact us, and this is a joint address for um for myself and, and, and a few other team members is contact at mybutan.com. Awesome. And we'll be posting all that in our show notes, along with some pictures and a couple of uh, videos that introduce folks to Bhutan. And, and as they kind of get to know who you are, there's a whole lot more that we didn't even touch. <laughs> so um, excited to bring more. And I'm sure when we come back from Bhutan, there'll be another podcast episode to, to go over our, our journey. But uh, Matt, I want to finish with a couple of fun questions that I ask everybody. And so... Okay. You know, here in the U.S., Hollywood loves to like blow these kinds of stories up. And you're somebody for sure that Hollywood's going to make a movie about someday. So what we want to know is when they do, who's going to be the Hollywood actor that plays you? Uh, I'll give you a couple of things here. So when uh, so His Royal Highness always tells me that um, that Marco Polo reminds me of him. 
Nice. So, or reminds him of me. Nice. Yeah. And so maybe that, uh, the actor in that TV show. Okay. Uh, or maybe we could bring, uh, you know, Brad Pitt did the, the seven years in Tibet. So there we go. Okay. Maybe we can get him back to Bhutan. Um, but really, actually, to be honest with you, I think, um, I think like a complete unknown because that's in many ways what, you know, this full 10 year journey has really entailed. Right. So it's always kind of diving into the unknown. And so I think it might be most fitting if it was just a complete unknown actor. I love it. Okay. Well, what's your movie going to be called? There's, um, have you ever heard of Bayul? Yeah, well, that's your, that's the payment company, that's right? The, that's the name of the payment company. But Bayul is, what it actually means is it means hidden lands. Ah. And the idea of a Bayul is that once you've, um, it, it's, it, it can be a constant search in your life to find Bayuls, but Bayuls are physical lands that are um, unseen until you can see them. Mm. And it takes um, both physical and internal presence to find these bayouls. I think that the real, you know, the place is the most special part of this story rather than the person. And so I'd say something like into the bayul or something. I love that. Because Bhutan in a really beautiful way is a bayul in so many ways. And I just learned a new word and it's, it's a great word. I'm going to use it <laughs> into the Bayul. Well, Matt, I want to thank you so much for spending time with me today. I am so excited to come and visit Bhutan later this year. And for those listening, I hope that you have been inspired today as much as I have. I hope that Matt's story has encouraged you to listen to that voice inside that calls you to adventure because we want to hear your story next. If you have a story to tell or you need a nudge to create one, please send me an email. We'd also appreciate it if you'd help us spread the word by leaving a review and sharing or tagging Inspire Campfire in your social media. And until next time, I want to encourage you to get outside. Thank you for listening. Matt, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Scott.